market yourself well and to be successful in business, you really have to understand from your audience's point of view what your brand is. You're listening to Extra Innings with entrepreneur, author, and CEO, Jay Myers. Welcome to Extra Innings. I'm your host, Jay Myers. And Extra Innings is a podcast intended to help small business owners and entrepreneurs out there to understand different issues going on in the marketplace these days. And I am tickled pink to have uh, Evelyn Starr as my guest today. Evelyn is the head person at E-Star Associates up in the Boston area. And uh, welcome, Evelyn. Thanks so much, Jay. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Well, appreciate you uh, being a guest on the show. So, Evelyn, you know, th- these... Uh, podcasts are typically just more conversation than anything else and we have a lot of ground to cover with you and I think some really fascinating uh, topic in particular for small business owners and entrepreneurs out there so uh, before we get into that how about if you wouldn't mind Evelyn just kind of give a little bit of background of uh, you know where you grew up where you went to school and anything you'd like to share with our audience. Well, I grew up in the New York area. I was born in Brooklyn, and just before I was ready for kindergarten, we moved out to the northern New Jersey area. And uh, my father continued to work in New York and used to commute in and out. He was in financing and leasing of machine tools. And when he would come home from his commute at the end of the day, after he shed his suit, because everybody was in suits then, you know, Title IX hadn't really taken hold. So instead of thinking to go outside and throw a ball with me, he would talk business with me. And he would tell me about interest rates and float and employee situations he had navigated. I I felt like I got uh, a childhood MBA from him. Um, And so by the time I went to college, I knew that I would be interested in going in business. And I went to a liberal arts college. Um, I double majored in economics and French, economics because it was the closest thing to business and French just for love of the language. And then uh, during my junior and senior year, the summer between, I had a Wall Street internship at Solomon Brothers. And at that time, Jay, you may remember in the mid 80s, investment banking was all the rage. So I kind of, I felt like I lucked into it, even though I applied and um, spent the summer in the bond market research department, helping them start to put together a municipal bond database. And uh, what I took away from that summer is I really liked research and analysis, and I really did not want to work in investment banking, nor did I want to commute into New York City. So that uh, was part of my decision to move to the Boston area after I graduated and uh, search for any job that had researcher analyst in the title. (laughs) Um, so my first job after a year, you know, when I moved up in the late eighties, it was, the competition was fierce because Boston is a big college town. So being a recent grad, you know, there were hundreds of thousands of us. It took me a year to find my first real job, but I went to work for a market research firm. Uh, Market research is now called Consumer Insights, um, for anybody younger than 35. But, um, I learned on the job there. I'd never had a market research course and really enjoyed that. Went and got my MBA and then worked for a succession of client-side companies, very fine products, which made juices. And uh, and I was Dunkin' Donuts market research manager for a few years. And then my last job, I was a new product manager for the first years. And uh, at that point, 
um, when I was newly pregnant with my second child, I had kind of had it with corporate life. And so I went out on my own doing the kind of work that I do now. And that's how I got started on this trajectory. Wow. So you didn't go to just any college, as I recall, looking at your bio, Vassar? Yes, I went to Vassar. And and then Boston College. Correct. But you're uh, a New Yorker by birth, uh, you just mentioned. So Evelyn, we're on a show, a business show, but you know, I'm a baseball nut. So I'm sitting there thinking, Evelyn, uh, when you were living in New York, uh, were you a Yankee fan by any chance? I'm just curious. Yes. In fact, that's what we talked about when we met. (laughs) (laughs) And for the audience out there, Evelyn, and New Orleans, actually, of all places, uh, me, a Memphis guy, and Evelyn up in Boston, everything. We met in New Orleans at an Inc. magazine event, and we're talking more baseball than business, as I recall, and fantasy camps and all that. And so, uh, and then now, Evelyn, you live in the enemy territory. I mean, I'm sorry, Boston. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, no, that's great, though. What, a, what an educational background. It's very impressive. So you had some major brands and companies you were working with, and and I guess, you know, that's one of the things I wanted to talk about uh, a little bit more today in, you know, small business. And when I own my business and a lot of my counterparts, you know, we're thinking about so many things. We're trying to hire people, we're trying to grow the business, we're trying to do everything all the time, you know, and, and most of the time not very focused on some of the, you know, the bigger picture things. One of the things that I really am impressed when I met you and uh, most recently read your book, Teenage Waste Brand, um, that's a terrific book. We'll talk more about that. But the importance for a small business owner, Evelyn, to have a handle on branding. And when I owned ISI, it was I, I didn't really even know what branding was. I was trying to sell technology. I mean, I, and so I think there's a lot of small business owners out there and entrepreneurs that would uh, love to hear more about uh, your thoughts on small businesses and understanding their brand and how to promote that, et cetera. Many people tend to think of brand as a logo or a tagline or something that a marketing department in a large company creates, but that's not really what a brand is. A brand is the sum of all the impressions someone has of you or your company over time. Every time they interact with your your company, every time they have, they see your social media posts, they talk to someone in customer service, um, or even if you're a small firm, every time they talk to you, that adds to the file in their brain that gets classified under the name of your brand as part of your brand, right? So all those experiences add up. Yeah, and that, that's uh, that's so important. I guess, you know, we didn't understand what ours really was, I guess, until we kind of reflected on it years later. And by the way, uh, for the audience out there, we did, uh, my former company, Interactive Solutions, got a nice plug and a couple of, uh, well, several pages in the book and uh, really flattered by that. And thank you very much for that, Evelyn. It's really very kind of you. Evelyn, you know, so branding is important, particularly, you know, in, in today's environment. Would you say that in uh, in light of the pandemic in particular, has that become maybe even more important to understand what your business is all about, your brand, and even promoting it during difficult times? I think so. What happened during the pandemic is that companies who weren't focused were struggling a lot more to figure out how to adjust 
their business than the companies that were very focused. The companies are very focused and um, well, I'll take a, a $100 million brand as an example. I know that it's kind of much bigger than some of the ones that you're talking about, but for example, life is good. You know, their purpose is to spread optimism. And so when the pandemic hit, they were looking to adjust their product line to spread optimism in a way that would appeal to people during the pandemic. And they had, you know, all sorts of shirts with clever sayings on them, like, let's have a moment of science. And, um, you know, uh, the new work, my new office with a picture of the, of the house and those kinds of things, things that were, you know, a t-shirt, which is not very expensive, but still helping people keep their optimism up at a very dark time, perhaps, and in a way that was very consistent with their brand. If you don't have those kinds of brand guidelines in place, um, things are, are, are challenging even when times are good, but when times are bad, you're trying to figure it out while everyone else is forging ahead. Yeah, that, that, that's good insight. In fact, I recall being at another Inc. event and heard, uh, I think, is it Bert Jacobs? At the, mm -hmm. uh, at Life is Good. And what a fascinating story and just inspirational. And, and I really got a lot out of that. So, Evelyn, through the years, you know, you focused on branding. Uh, you formed your own company after you had a lot of corporate experience. Talk a little bit, and we kind of maybe digress a little bit, but talk, uh, taking that wealth of experience that you had in corporate life and everything and, and, and uh, working for other folks, frankly, to where you went out on your own and you've been with your own company now for over 20 years, correct? Correct. So congratulations for that. You and I both know Thank a you. lot of startups don't make it that long right. and then the maturity stage and all these kind of things. Um, talk about you know, how that felt to go from kind of, let's face it, a safer environment to having, you know, the uh, desire and then the motivation to go out on your own, but also to uh, keep it working for 20 plus years. So talk yeah. a little bit about that if you could. So you're correct, of course, that it's scary in the sense that I no longer had uh, a steady paycheck and I was lucky enough to be part of a dual income household. Right. And um, so I had banked everything from my last job because we were very conservative financially. And uh, this is something entrepreneurs need to know in terms of how you to think very diligently of how you spend, spend your money and uh, what kind of running start you give you, yourself. So I had banked what I had made from the last job before I went out on my own. Um, so it was a little less scary because I knew I had some running room. But on the other hand, I was so motivated to create an environment that wasn't corporate because I'd really had enough of, well, at least the environments I was part of at that time were so meeting filled and seemed to achieve so little in those meetings and forced people to do their actual work off hours, which elongated your work week and not in a way that made you feel better about it or productive. So I wanted control over what I was doing and, uh, and who I was doing it with. <laughs> so that's what, that's the passion that led me to go out on my own. Um, and I wish I could say that I had a genius plan from looking at all these big brands, but really I was just starting from scratch. I think you said recently in one of your prior interviews, you know, that your first business plan was like really nothing to, to write home about. So was mine. <laughs> 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 you know, I was, and I, and I think I read you a little earlier, you know, I was, 
I always thought I would go out on my own sometime in my 40s, you know, and, and it would be really elegant. And I have this polished business plan. That is not how it happened. It was a fairly sudden decision. I was two months pregnant with my second child. I had no business plan. And so my business plan could be summed up in about three sentences when I started, you know, network during my pregnancy, try to make connections. And then after the initial time after my second child was born, and I'd end up taking six months because I could grant myself a real maternity leave being on my own, go back and try and turn some of those new connections into clients. Uh, what happened what was really interesting is that I was more successful than I thought I would be uh, in that early networking. And I got my first client when I was eight months pregnant. Um, wow. So it was kind of funny. I went out and bought the largest suit you've ever seen in your life. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I showed up and the first client was Gillette. Um, so <laughs> I showed up at Gillette, you know, eight months pregnant and worked my last two months of my pregnancy. It was really wonderful. Um, and uh you know, having a client is is what you need to be in business. That is the first thing you need. And so when right. I went back to work after my maternity leave, I called them and I said, you know, I'm back, you know, you know, uh, you know would you like to have lunch sometime? And they called me back and said, can you be here Tuesday? <laughs> so I felt very lucky that way, but I had also put the work in. That was my yeah. whole plan though. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was 39 when I started my business and I wasn't pregnant, but I did have a lousy business plan, as you mentioned. So, gosh, that is amazing. And your first big clients, Gillette, it couldn't have been something like a maternity clothing uh, company or something. You had to have the guys razor coming. That's funny. That, that's So, Evelyn, you know, all of us that start our own business and everything, there's, there's always moments, you know, plural usually, right, of gosh, why am I still doing this? You know, maybe I'm thinking about like, you know, this is too much. Maybe I just want to give up. Did you ever have any of those moments and just like, or maybe even the fork in the road, which way do I go? Did, any defining moments in this last 20 plus years with your business that, uh, you know, you really kind of stop and pause and say, gosh, you know, we got past that and, you know, things got better or whatever. Uh, anything you want to share about those experiences? Certainly. Um, I would say in the first two or three years, I had moments like that because I mean, essentially I'm, to be very clear about it, I'm a one person business. I knew I was starting a lifestyle business. And one of the things I took away from corporate life after managing a department at Dunkin Donuts was that uh, I wanted a lifestyle business so that I could be around for my family when I wanted to, but I also wanted to be doing work, not managing people with the time I was working. And in the first two or three years, there would be strings of time where I would have projects for Gillette, and then I picked up a couple of other clients, and then there would be lulls. And it was feast or famine. I was either really busy or not at all busy. And in those dips, there was a part of me that was saying, so <laughs> what's next? What am I doing right. here? You know, how do I, how do I beat the bushes? Um, but the other moment that really comes to mind, a super pivotal moment came about 10 years into my business. I had just taken some time to take my husband on as a client and help him start his own company. And we built a brand from scratch. So I treated him just like a client except that I was way more involved. You know, I was doing everything from helping him name his company, develop his logo, to scope out office space. I went and cleaned the walls of the office the day before he opened. I mean, 
It was everything. And when I came back from that, there were two things that hit me. One was that I needed to fill my pipeline and I was having a hard time. And I just thought, I've been in business 10 years. Why is this still so hard? Mm. And then the other thing that really hit me was that having treated my husband as a client, while his brand was brand new, because it was his company and just him at the beginning, he had a lot of knowledge about how other people saw him. And so he had a more fully formed brand that we used to develop his company than I did. I thought, wow, that's kind of like a marketing, you know, cobbler, no shoes on the kids situation. (laughs) (laughs) So the convergence of those two thoughts really got me curious as to why I was having so much trouble. And I started talking to other business owners and they were saying, yeah, you know what, 10, 12, 14 years in, we had a snag too and everything leveled off. And none of us could figure out why. And that was the inspiration point, basically, for the work I started to do that came out in the book. Wow, that's great. I think all of us, you know, entrepreneurs, you have those moments and you just kind of have to, you know, look in the mirror and say, you know, uh, define yourself, which way you want to go as as a a professional and everything. Evelyn, so you kind of alluded to something uh, I'm interested in, in, in hearing your thoughts on. Most of successful entrepreneurs that we have uh, have had mentors or people out there that have helped us along the way. In your mind, who who are some of your mentors and and uh, kind of describe those experiences with them, if you wouldn't mind. Certainly, um, I was lucky enough to have a couple of bosses who served as mentors. I had some uh, an unusual relationship with my first two bosses, and that it was more of a two way street than I think most people get. Um, some of that was because I might have been a little ballsy and uh, had not be afraid to give them kindly some feedback. And their reaction to that was actually to open up more. And so we had a very two-way street. Um, so I felt that, uh, especially my first boss, who really took a, um, a risk with me, you know, the, the, that first market research company that I, I mentioned that I, I started at, the one by one inch ad in the paper that I answered said PhD preferred and I applied as a BA and beat out the PhDs and got the job. It was something he saw. And so that was a real foundation for this wonderful mentorship where, um, you know, I would run thoughts by him and and talk about where I wanted to go. And he would give me some sort of real world world feedback from that. Um, So um, two bosses, my dad, um, in certain circumstances, my dad was a little more old school with business, you know, came a little bit more from that management by fear that used to exist. Um, so I had to be selective in the advice I took, but by and large, he was very helpful. Um, those, those are the main people, I think. Well, that's great. Yeah, I, I know myself, I, my dad uh, continues, he's been gone a long time, but continues to be a big influence on my career and, and all those kind of things. It's important to have mentors. Uh, I don't think there's any successful entrepreneur out there that can't, you know, uh, you can't do it alone. You you have to have some people along the way that assist you, take interest in you and, you know, help you through some of the dark days and, and, and spread the joy when you have, you know, the good times and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, Evelyn, so because I'm a sales type and, um, because I've uh, enjoyed your book so much. Before we conclude with some parting advice for some of the young people, let's talk just a couple of minutes about Teenage Waste Brand, your book from how your brand can stop struggling and start scaling. 
So tell us a little bit about the book. What motivated you to, to write the book? And you got some great examples in there. I love your the personal stories. Talk a little bit about the book and what motivated uh, and to, for you to do all the work that you have to do that I know you have to do to put, the, put it together. Well, so when you asked me a little while ago about uh, the moments I had, and I talked about 10 years in being frustrated about filling in my pipeline, I knew as a marketing consultant that I needed to create a niche for myself, but I really didn't know what that niche would be. And I agonized with that for months. And one night I thought, gosh, I think my brand is having an identity crisis, <laughs> which really feels a lot like high school. Um, at that same moment, both my kids were hitting adolescence. You know, they were something like, you know, 10 and 12. And so I don't think it was, you know, totally by chance. I thought, I wonder if brands can have an adolescence. And so over the next several years, writing a newsletter, um, I explored this concept of can brands have in adolescence, do they exhibit symptoms like humans do, like oversleeping and running with the wrong crowd and identity crises. And I found that in fact, they could, um, and they did have that. And it was a much more relatable way to think about what was going on and connect it to the remedy than all the marketing jargon that I was I was hearing. So um, over time, after exploring all these symptoms, I decided, okay, you know what, I need to pull this together cohesively, and the book is how I did that. There was one story about Segway that I thought was really interesting. I'm not sure why I focused on that, but the fact that they somewhat ignored the safety issues until President Bush fell off of one, even though he was an early proponent of them, but that wasn't such a nice uh, moment there. I just thought that was fascinating with uh, the way that you did, uh, you wove that story and everything. And it was just, uh, it's a great book, Teenage Waste Brand. Uh, for all you small business owners out there and entrepreneurs, uh, pick up a copy, Evelyn Starr, uh, author here that we're speaking to this afternoon. So Evelyn, uh, to kind of wrap this up, we always uh, try to give some advice to the small business owners out there, but also some of the young people, the young professionals who are out there that are trying to figure out what to do with their careers. Maybe they want to start a one-person business, or maybe they want to do something else. What are your thoughts on that as you kind of look at the next generation of entrepreneurs and, and folks and professionals out there? What, what are your thoughts on what you'd recommend for them to think about? So I'd like to start by building on um, a piece of advice that Carolyn Chisholm Hardy gave when she was on a few weeks ago. She said, dream like a child. Right. And my build on that would be, don't be constrained by what others think you can or cannot do. A number of times, and I bet you ran into this as an entrepreneur because you can't but help if you're an entrepreneur, have a situation where you describe to someone what your intention is and they just give you this look, Jay. And sometimes the look is on the mild side, like, I'm not sure you're gonna be able to accomplish that. And sometimes it's on the more extreme side, like I'm questioning your sanity and not gonna say that to your face. <laughs> but either way, there are plenty of people who will show you why you can't do something. But if you have the resolve, if you're resourceful and you have a lot of passion, I say go for it and you need to know that it's okay to put those people aside um, or at least put their responses to your intent aside, not that you have to not have them in your life. Um, at the same time, I would also advise that people be honest with themselves. You know, you know yourself best and you know when you're trying to kid yourself. So be honest about what you wanna do and what you can do. 
uh, I had plenty of people in the late 80s say to me, you had an internship in Solomon Brothers, you're going to have a Wall Street career. And I just knew after that summer and seeing a lot of the people who were immersed in there that I was not a hundred hour a week person. I didn't have that diehard, you know, competition at all costs. And I really didn't want to work with instruments that I couldn't understand. A lot of these financial instruments are very, you know, they felt theoretical to me. They didn't feel tangible. And so despite all these people saying, I can't believe you're not going to pursue a Wall Street job, you know, I left. <laughs> um, and then the third and probably most important piece of advice I have, which actually led to my relationship with you is nurture your relationships stay in touch with the people you like and admire and that can be occasional coffee or lunch appointments it can be a hello email it can be a thank you note if it's appropriate it could be sending a birthday card but networking gets a really bad rap people think that it's work and i love it because it just means connecting and reconnecting with people you like and admire and you never know who you're going to be able to help or who's going to be able to help you um, it's never too late to connect or reconnect with people but you don't want to be doing it only when you need something that's great advice and one thing for the audience out there the young people in particular Evelyn and I have uh, been pen pals, it seems, for several years and met just one time in person. But I think that the lost art of writing personal notes, it, that, that is so important. It means something to me. I have every one of your notes, by the way, Evelyn. Oh, that's and I great. look at them and, I, and I, I will tell you, I'm not alone in acknowledging the, the, the value of that. So thank you for that. That is terrific advice. And I'll say it one more time because I have uh, millennial children and everything and uh, young people I deal with, you know, don't dismiss the value of personal notes. Spend the time, not an email, but a personal note. Take the time to write it. It means a lot. Evelyn Starr, thank you so much for being on the show. Really enjoyed it. Uh, best of luck with your business going forward. And hopefully we'll see each other down the road uh, in person again soon. Oh, I hope so. Thanks so much, Jay. To learn more about Jay Myers or his podcast guests, visit www.jmyersceo.com.